Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 12 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On this episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming Cards Chat ambassador, Colin Moshman. Colin is a best-selling poker strategy book author, video producer, backer, instructor, and of course, professional poker player. On this episode, we'll get to know Colin's backstory, learn about his career playing and teaching poker, and what he's like away from the tables, and more. Colin, welcome to the Cards Chat podcast. I'm happy to be speaking with you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Robbie. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks. So I got to say, you know, we're up to, this is now episode number 12 of the Cards Chat podcast. And I have to admit, you're the first guest who I've never actually met or spoken with before. Um, I've done some research, but first let's hear from you. Tell us, you know, I don't know, how did you first originally get into poker? Well, I had a background in math and I was watching poker on ESPN. And this was back in Greg Raymer's Chris Moneymaker time. Uh And I just deposited some online, started playing and immediately loved the game. Wow. Oh, so in fact, one one of the acquisitions of the poker boom then. Yeah, it definitely shows my age to go back to 2003 in this answer. But I, I watched like the Greg Raymer win on ESPN just multiple times. I, I loved watching those early episodes. Well, a lot of folks, I'm, I'm turning 39 very shortly, actually in about one hour from now. So yes, I know. Oh, I've been around, I, thank you. I'm, you know, also I'm a product of the moneymaker boom in a way, but I also played when I was a kid. Well, like were card games ever part of your life as a kid before? Had you heard of poker? It was really like, what's this thing on ESPN? Yeah, definitely. You know, I would play with my dad and my brothers sometimes, um, mainly other games and gin rummy sometimes and stuff like that. But I had friends who played, so it was kind of new, but definitely had a little bit of card experience. Cool. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned your uh, background in mathematics. I know you have a, a BA in mathematics from the California Institute of Technology. So poker kind of cast its spell on you, but I'm wondering if before it did that, Maybe you had some other plans like becoming, I don't know, a rocket scientist or something uh, before you got into poker. Well, I was in grad school for economics at that point, and my parents kind of wanted me to go to law school. So there were different sort of plans that I was considering. And poker did not really help in terms of my ambition for pursuing (laughs) those plans because I started playing and I'm like, wow, this, this is too great. You know, this is too much fun. Uh, so that really ended up taking me in a different direction. Hmm. At, at what point did you sort of say, okay, I got to put all that sort of stuff on the side and poker is the thing? Like, can you remember that moment? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I would say that around the time when, you know, I was getting to playing higher stakes sitting goes. And back then too, I mean, it was so easy to beat the games. You pretty much just had to have a, a basic strategy. And today, of course, you have to be very good, you know, to, to win at, at a higher level. Um, but back then, very basic strategies would, would do pretty good. And so, you know, I was finding a lot more success and, and coming up with some new ideas. And that was also around when I met Katie, who was extremely supportive of it and encouraged me to start writing. And so right around that same time, and I don't know, maybe um, early 2005, everything just sort of came together. Wow. 
Really cool. And of course, you know, what we're talking about, your fellow Cards Chat ambassador and wife, uh, Katie Dozier, we'll mention her a couple of yes. times uh, later in this show. Um, about Cards Chat, you first became a member of the community way back in 2009. Um, what was it that attracted you to the Cards Chat community? And maybe what you can say, what do you still enjoy most being part of it 11 years later? Well, I interacted some with Debbie back then and as part of Team Oshman. And, you know, she told me about Card Chat and I was excited to go on and also post some about the book and interact with people. And, you know, since then, what I've realized is that poker can obviously attract sort of like, you know, a young, aggressive kind of like, you know, people who just sort of want to um, post about whatever and, and not be as friendly about it to sure. new players. But I think it's so important to just be inclusive with poker uh, to welcome new players. So that's definitely what has attracted me the most to Cards Chat over any other poker firm. Love it. And of course, shout out to Debbie. We all love Debbie. Debbie, we love you. <laughs> uh, the great moderator on the forums. And she's also really helpful behind the scenes on this uh, podcast as well. Uh, of course, awesome. of course, Colin, you're now uh, not just a member of the community, but also an ambassador for the Cards Chat brand as of, as of last year. Um, you're the second ambassador to actually appear here on the podcast. Our first episode featured Jeff Gross. Um, could you tell us what that role entails? What does it mean for you to wear that patch proudly of the, of the cards chat? Well, I would say the biggest thing is just helping out members who want to learn, you know, and Katie and I are most focused on the, the strategy and people who want to start taking poker, not necessarily in any kind of professional way, but mm -hmm. just understanding, you know, what it takes to, to move up or accomplish their goals in poker. So we really enjoy posting on the forums, um, helping people out with our course and just trying to, no matter what somebody's question is, even if it's very basic, understand their goals and help them out with that. That's awesome. Have, have you ever met some of the community members in person, maybe at the World Series or other events? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, everybody, uh, I guess now, of course, in 2020, it's a little bit more complicated meeting anybody. Sure. Um, but definitely, yeah, um, in the past, um, both online and in person have met, you know, people from Cards Chat, and that's always been a lot of fun for me. Well, in what way? Like, what, what do you specifically uh, enjoy about interacting with the community members? Well, you know, first of all, I always have curiosity when there's a screen name to associate a screen name with the face. Right. So for me, that's always a very satisfying thing. And, you know, on top of that, um, being able to uh, just have that face-to-face -face interaction. It's kind of like the difference between live and online poker. You know, there are great mm -hmm. aspects in both of them. But when it comes to actually having, you know, a, a social interaction um, being able to talk strategy that way is, is a lot of fun. Awesome. And we'll actually be asking a question about that pretty soon. But first, uh, I do have to ask you, of course, you're an accomplished player. At what point did you shift your efforts and, and your focus more from playing the game to coaching and coming up with materials to instruct students? It was pretty gradual. You know, at first it was only playing. Um, and then it was definitely uh, Katie who encouraged me to start writing this this book. So once Sunningo Strategy came out, 
Mm-hmm. I guess there was an, in 2007, yep. um, I was fortunate to get a lot of opportunities to begin coaching and, and working with students and making videos um, that started off for a site called Stockspoker, which is no longer around, um, okay. but I've worked with uh, a lot of students uh, and sites since then. So yeah, I would say it's been a pretty gradual transition to doing mm-hmm. more coaching, more working with players, um, particularly too, once I started staking a couple of years after the book came out. Right. Had you, had you ever done any sort of teaching before or was like a learn as you go type of experience? I done a little bit of academic tutoring, but mainly learn as you go. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, I think the single biggest thing is that it's so easy when you're doing it to sort of treat everyone as if they're, they're kind of at the same level and they go into it like, you know, they are familiar with the same things you're familiar with. And so I'd say one of the biggest things that I've learned is that you have to see things from the perspective of your students, you know, and maybe some of the time that's going to be that they're not even too familiar with the different positions in poker, you know, or things that you kind of take for granted. So that's where I always try to start. Do you feel that your own game has improved or maybe your mental game has improved as a result of of teaching so many people? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's sometimes you see it called like the Feynman method after Richard Feynman, but this idea that whenever you teach something, it always helps you learn it because you have to explain it and explaining it does a a tremendous amount. So that's a big aspect. And then some of the time you actually just, you know, directly learn from what your students are saying. They'll come up with an idea and they'll say, Hey, you know, you're saying to raise here, but I don't agree because of X, Y, and Z. And you say, yeah, you know, actually that's a great point. The teacher becomes the student after all. <laughs> well, yeah. So, yeah. so you, you've uh, you've said that, you know, talking about the differences between online live poker, it appears, at least from my research, that you've primarily focused your efforts on online poker. Um, I do see, I looked at your hand in mob, you've got a few live results over kind of like a two-year period between 2011, 2013. So first, let's start off. What do you enjoy specifically about online poker versus live poker? What I liked the most about online is that I like to know that I have an edge when I'm playing and grind out that edge. And so for live, you know, one of the things is that you need to put in a big sample in order to get consistency. And that's just very tough to do live. You know, maybe you're playing cash and you get 25 hands an hour or, you know, you're playing daily tournaments at, at best in terms of accruing a sample size and you get a couple of them a day. Whereas for online, you know, I could play a lot of tables and I could say, okay, you know, like based on statistics, if I play a few thousand games, I'm going to be somewhat close to my true ROI. So it just always really appealed to me that I could get to the long run much faster that way. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so I've got to ask the flip question then. So what do you like more about live poker than online? Biggest thing about live for sure is just winning a big pot. You know, <laughs> there's nothing like that. Uh, actually having to use two arms to pull in chips. Ah, there's the best a few feeling. things more satisfying than that. Yep. So I, I love playing live as well, but you're right. If I could only pick one, it would be online. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you're, you know, you've been for a long time, a sit and go specialist. You don't really have that too much in uh, live poker. Is that sort of still the case? You still focus on that sort of a thing? Or is it, you know, you've branched out into cash games more, maybe non no limit holding games? 
Well, yeah, Suningos, um, also Turbo MTT. Mm -hmm. I love playing Malta Table Suningos, um, some spin and jackpot games, mm. but cash games, slow structure tournaments, a little bit less. Mm -hmm. yeah, the main place for live Suningos is probably satellites. Um, you know, right. at points of grinded WSOP one table satellites. And those are kind of like Suningos, but kind of not um, because they're typically winner take all. Right. So they're kind of different from the 50, 30, 20 online structure. Um, but those are definitely a lot of fun. You know, like the side betting that goes on in them. Um, they're sure. fun games. Were, were you trying to sort of win the Lammers basically, or just win your way into bigger tournaments, like a, like a true satellite? Uh, it was always just for the Lammers. Gotcha. You know, the Lammers, yeah. Right. For those who don't know what a Lammer is, it's kind of like, kind of has equal cash value to money. And can you redeem those? I don't know exactly. I've never won a Lammer. So there is. <laughs> no, usually what you have to do is you have to sell them. Mm, right. um, so well, you've got two choices. Like a lot of the time, the thing is like, let's say, for example, I would be going to play the WSOP main event. Mm -hmm. And so if I won Lammers, you know, I could use them for that or other right. events. So if you have things you're going to play, you can do it that way, or you can sell them. And typically you'll get either one-to-one -one or, you know, maybe like if you're desperate near the end of the series, maybe some very slight discount, but pretty much they're, they're close to as good as cash. Right. And the end of the series is important because they're not good from year to year. So that's something that they definitely enforce. Yeah, that, that, was, that would be pretty rough to end up with like $100,000 in Lammers. Oh and my just goodness. For nothing sure. to do with them. For sure. Um, well, do you still, I mean, obviously it's, it's pandemic time, but do you still do any sort of live play? Maybe you've got any, any home games, something like that? Yeah, well, um, we're in Florida right now and there are uh -huh. definitely games going on. Casinos are starting to open back up a little bit. So we haven't been too involved with that um, since all the pandemic stuff started. But um, I think it's going to continue to open up here more. And then most of our play currently is online. Uh -huh. Sure. Do you have a favorite poker room that you enjoy, whether, whether in Florida or maybe Las Vegas or somewhere else? Yeah, definitely. Well, in Vegas, I would say that... And this isn't probably the most accepted answer, but I always really enjoyed Venetian. I know okay. that uh, Sh Sheldon Adelson has had his, uh, you know, not best aspects in terms of politics, but it's always a, a large room where the dealers yeah. have been friendly. So I like playing there. Um, I love uh, the first place that I was mainly playing was Borgata in New Jersey. Sure. They've got a great room. I love playing there. So, you know, big open rooms have always been a lot of fun to me. Yes, I was going to ask is what is it that makes a room particularly enjoyable or like, oh, I like this place? Is it is it specifically like the 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 architecture of it, I guess? Yeah, I just love that that large open feel where there are a lot of tables. I don't like claustrophobic rooms like for example you know at, at the rio there's the main wsop area and then there's their true poker room and their true poker room is like really small yeah you know i don't really like playing in rooms like that if they're great games i would but it's not uh -huh. my preference oh actually I've, I've enjoyed that uh rio poker room it's 10 tables oh, really? it's, uh, it's kind of an intimate feel because you know there's still enough noise but not like this gigantic cacophony of noise i mean i didn't really play in too many WSOP tournaments, but for cash games, it's kind of nice. I don't know. It's good, a different vibe. And always, I was playing, you know, between midnight and two, three in the morning after my day's work. So it's a little bit of a I different. like that intimate description. That's it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's cozy. It's intimate. Right. Right. And also, quite frankly, as like, just like all 
poker rooms, you've got your regular dealers, right? So in that Rio poker room, you know, I've gone you know, a few nights, you see the same dealers over and over again, which isn't necessarily the case in the big pavilion room or the Amazon room where it's just hundreds of dealers, you know, all these different. Right. Chains. That's yeah. true. For sure. Sure. So, you know, you mentioned backing, staking. Of course, there are all these folks are part of Team Moshman. Um, what sort of resume, I guess, or for lack of a better term, or a cover letter, does it take for someone to get considered when they apply to you to start staking them? Well, I'm not doing all that much staking these days, but the biggest thing um, generally has been, well, to pause for a second, it used to be when I first started staking, extremely easy to find people who I thought would do well, because mm. all it took in say 2009 was having the right basic strategy, basically playing tight, aggressive pre-flop and knowing when to be kind of aggressive post-flop, and you didn't need to do anything too fancy. So basically, I was just looking for people that I thought had good character and kind of the right strategy and were willing mm -hmm. to grind it out. And then over time, when the games became a lot more difficult, um, you know, it took a lot of consistency. I like seeing, for example, on uh, data mining sites, sites like Sharkscope, that a player had a very consistent results um, that they're willing to grind up. And some of the players that I had the most trouble with would be ones who were often great at the game and, and very nice people, but they just never wanted to play games they consistently beat. You mm. know, like they would be crushing low stakes MTT, but all they wanted to do was play high stakes MTT. Right. Right. I understand. So, so I, it's difficult for sort of ask this. It's not none of my business. I don't want to get too personal, but I'm kind of wondering, you know, so many players, they've left the game or they've pivoted elsewhere, something like that, because as you've said, you know, over the last decade, the game has gotten so much more difficult. Is that perhaps one of the reasons you've sort of scaled back from staking is to say, you know, it's difficult Absolutely. to pick the winners? Yeah, staking, I mean, it used to be pretty easy money, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, back then, it was just, it combined a lot of things I really liked because it was like having a business where I could do well in it. And then at the same time, you know, I had a lot of very close friendships with the players I staked. You know, I met up with a number of them um, in Atlantic City, in Vegas, um, in Maryland, where I was living for a while. So, you know, it's just like everything came together extremely well. Um, and then it just became increasingly difficult for these players, um, you know, where a lot of them, they wanted to grind out consistent money, but but they couldn't do it as the games were getting more difficult. Right. Um, I encountered a lot of players who were becoming sort of like a little more desperate in the sense mm. where if they didn't actually have money saved up and they needed to meet their monthly nut, you know, consistently, right. um, it was a lot tougher for them. So it became something that was a little bit less enjoyable um, when that shifted. So now I, I much prefer working with players who don't have, you know, an exact thing. Like I need to make $500 every week and that stress. Right. Right. Well, just like table selection, it's always, you know, a very important thing to do. You can't just go on autopilot when you're staking and backing people for sure. Sure. Um, sure. Well, we'll shift a little bit to Colin, the author. Uh, you literally wrote the book, Sit and Go Strategy, um, back in 2007, as you mentioned. And it was followed by two more books, The Math of Hold'em in 2011 and Heads Up, No Limit Hold'em in 2014. Plus, this was interesting when I was doing my research, 
you wrote an action thriller together with Katie uh, entitled The Super User in 2011. So we'll attack those things a little separately, but overall, take me through the process of writing a poker book. How do you first decide that you want to write something, uh, conceptualize the outline until you have that, that finished copy in your hands? Well, it's a great way. You know, you asked um, an excellent question earlier about does it help you to learn about the game when you're working with students? And that always really helped me learn about the game, you know, to actually write things down. And so that was kind of how I started. I was more doing that just as a project. Uh, and again, you know, it was Katie who really encouraged me and said, why don't you develop this into something further? Mm -hmm. So that was a lot of fun. And with Sunigo Strategy, you know, there wasn't another book on that. So it did seem like there's maybe a gap in the market. And so when I submitted it to 2 plus 2, you know, they were kind enough to look at it and, and read it, even though I didn't have any kind of name in the poker community. Um, and after they, they took it, which was extremely exhilarating that they were going to accept it, what I got back was the manuscript with handwritten notes and corrections from Mason. And that was pretty daunting. He had a lot, you know, to change. So it really helped clarify my thinking and, hmm. you know, it was, it was extremely useful what he did hmm. for that. Interesting. And for the other two books, was the uh, process sort of the same? Yeah. Well, with um, Heads Up, you know, there it was discussed in advance that I was going to write this book. So I kind of knew that it was going to uh -huh. get accepted. Uh -huh. um, so a few less surprises, but definitely um, – you know, I had a bit of a better idea what they were looking for. Um, gotcha. You know, like as an example, one thing that two plus two doesn't want is a lot of hype. You know, they don't want things like this is how you're going to crush. And, you know, they want it to be a little more in the academic style, mm -hmm. um, which I liked, you know, coming from a math background, I was very used to math textbooks and was happy to do it in that way. Um, working with um, other publishers at times, you know, it was a little different and mm -hmm. they were often happier to just sort of do it more how I saw it and, and not come in with a lot of um, suggestions and ideas, which is good too. Um, this kind of different styles, I guess. Sure. What would you say is the, the most fulfilling thing about writing a strategy book? Well, it's always fulfilling whether it's uh, physical or just digital to see the finished product, sure. you know, if it's physical to hold in your hands, um, if it's digital, just to see the cover and scroll through it. Uh, I think that's extremely fulfilling. Um, and you know, one thing I just would love to do is when people would, you know, make kind comments and talk about how the book uh, maybe influenced them in some way and their poker, um, that was always extremely rewarding. And uh, that was by far the most common with the Sitting book. I mean, that book sold just uh, a large multiple compared to any of the other ones um, mm -hmm. because of, of when it was released. And, right. you know, so uh, that was just extremely satisfying to, to hear people continually talk about how it influenced their poker careers. That's fantastic. Well, you know, obviously the, uh, the super user book that we mentioned, that's a, a bit of a different genre and you co-wrote it with Katie, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what was that process like? It's obviously very different than, than a strategy book. Yeah, that was a really fun challenge to write that way. I had almost no fiction experience. Katie's an amazing writer. Mm -hmm. So she had the creative writing and um, 
fiction, poetry background. So, you know, I, I really wanted to to see if I could do something like that and have the opportunity to to work with her because she's a much better writer than I am. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Now that book did not sell very much, but that's okay. You know, I'm I'm very happy. I've had had a lot of projects in and related to poker. And when it comes to being sort of a commercial success, um, some have been very successful, some have been total failures, and that's fine. You know, I just I love having projects where I'm collaborating with other people and doing something I enjoy. Um, so that one I learned a lot about writing and really had fun with. That's a wonderful attitude to have because it's not. You know, you can't always be results oriented in that way. If you're enjoying the process, that's that's just a reward in and of itself. That that's pretty cool. Um, but you know, you said you know it hasn't sold well. Maybe because people haven't heard of it. Maybe we can give like a thirty second uh, little summary for those who may want to pick up a new uh, poker action thriller. What is Super User about? Wow. Well, I haven't read Super User in a while. It's going to be embarrassing if I can't even come up with the plot. But basically, <laughs> the, the premise behind Super User is that. A disgraced poker player needs to regain, you know, good graces and come back into the poker community. And so, cool. the way he's going to do that is to track down the infamous super user who's been haunting the online poker rooms. So that is his mission, and that is what he does. Right now, I have to like stop all of these people who are immediately going to Amazon and buying Super User because we're supposed <laughs> to keep going with the podcast. But uh, I'm right, certainly right, yeah. I'm certainly intrigued and I will encourage everyone to go ahead and check that out Thank you. Uh, on Amazon. It's uh, It looked like a really, really cool read and I think I want to get my hands on it too. Um, beyond writing books, both strategy as well as the fiction, you've also been producing plenty of video strategy content, as you mentioned, for Poker Strategy, Tournament Poker Edge, and of course, right here at Cards Chat. So let's dive into that a little bit. How did you plan out your content production and who, like sort of the audience that your videos are targeted at? Well, I have a Google Doc where mm -hmm. I put down ideas and come up with that. And, you know, one thing, it depends, of course, on what I'm trying to do with the video. One thing I love about uh, making videos for Card Chat is they allow me a lot of creative license and I get to make videos for a wide range of different skill levels and audiences. So that's the kind of thing that definitely keeps me motivated to do it. Um, you know, coming up with these ideas, deciding where I want to go with them. And then also what the best way is to execute. Like for example, let's say I want to make a video that focuses on whether you should bet the river. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you know, I could do it in a lot of ways. I could either find hands where I had that decision myself in my own games and, and look at several of those hands, or I could put together a quiz or do a PowerPoint. So it's just a lot of fun coming up with these ideas and being able to execute them in different ways. Nice. Do you, uh, this is something I, I, I just thought of this one right now, like, because I, I produce content myself, video content. Do you ever watch them back after you produce them? Yeah, I do, but I don't know if you have this problem, but I tend to be really critical about my own stuff. And Guilty. that happens too. <laughs> the more I look at it, the more I become confused. You know, like if I've written a book and I've just seen it so many times, and then some of the time I go through this phase where I'm like, I have no idea if it's good or coherent. I've just seen it too many times. So I don't always love looking back on my own stuff, but I do some of the time. How about you? 
Um, also, some of the time, there's be like, sometimes I'll have, uh, I think I've even mentioned it, like a couple of our uh, other guests as well, or I'd be like, oh my God, I actually have to make sure that I go back and listen to this one again, because that advice was just like life, ridiculously solid life advice, and I want to write that down. <laughs> uh, and sometimes right. I'm just honestly focused on, you know, delivering and preparing, and I, I also want to be one of the members of the audience. So uh, I don't think there's a right or a wrong approach, I was just more more curious um, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned, um, you know, of course, you're preparing stuff for Cards Chat. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about a little bit your your super popular free course uh, that's offered to everyone: become a winning poker player in 30 days. And that's again something you put together with Katie. How did the idea first come up to produce uh, that kind of a course? And, and you know, maybe tell us, you know, what was the process like of creating a course which is supposed to last an entire month? Well. I have never really had the opportunity writing books to do something that was more, um, you know, they've always tried to be like one specific theme, you know, like sit and goes and, and heads up. And what I realized is that I wanted to put together something that combined all of these concepts that were very important um, and also did it in a way that was very accessible. Um, so when I was talking about it with Cardshed, they were extremely supportive of the idea. Um, and Debbie gave me a lot of very useful feedback and guidance with that. And so once that idea was down, a big part of it just came to making the outline. Like, what did I think were the absolute most important concepts? And like you probably know, some of the time, what is you know the hardest part in writing, but the most important part is editing. And yes. so I think I had like 70 of these you know, one month is 70 days, right? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, I should probably cut some of these and got rid of the more obscure ones, combine some, and uh, really just try to hone in and focus on the most important concepts for understanding poker and starting to win in low stakes games. Hmm. And, and I got to also point out, and again, it's another one of those projects you work on with Katie. There's some couples, and I've been married 18 and a half years, you know, some people just like, you do this. I'll do that and we'll meet for tea or something like that. But you obviously seem to gel very, very well, even on a professional level. What's that like working with your spouse on creating this great instructional material? Oh, that's great. We're always running ideas by each other. Now, one thing, though, that I should clarify is that we're not like when we're doing these chapters, it's not like um, we're sitting next to each other and like deciding what the next word should be all the time. So we collaborate in a lot of different ways. And the most common way with actually writing um, a book like this one is that, you know, we share the Google Doc and we're always sort of like editing at different parts and writing. And then the main way that we're talking is we'll bring up ideas to each other and say, well, what do you think about for this one? You know, or what did you think of this example that I put in? And it's always fun, too, when you have a relationship with somebody where they can give you honest feedback. Sure. Because most people, you know, if you show them writing, they're not going to give you honest feedback. They're just yeah. going to tell you what you want to hear. Um, so it's great. Right. Uh, that's so, that's so uh, you know, it just brings a smile to my face to hear something like that. And I'm sure our listeners and those who are watching, you know, can, can sort of see that, that love, you know, it goes beyond the personal also to the professional realm. And it's really, it's really fantastic. Um, well, there is, of course, tons of training material out there these days. Tons of it can be gotten for free, like the great strategy articles uh, in your, and, and of course your aforementioned course. Um, 
But obviously, those who are prepared to pay for it, it opens up an entire other world of poker strategy content. So obviously, you're a very experienced instructor. At what point would you suggest that someone ready themselves to invest in paying for training content? I would say it just depends a lot on, on what your goals are and, and what you're trying to get out of things like, I mean, typically the first investment that I recommend to somebody that they make is on the software side of things. Mm -hmm. So like if you're playing online, you know, in, in tracking software in software that helps you make good shuffle decisions. Um, and for most people, it's not going to be something until you have like a real bankroll built up that I would typically advise people to start getting coaching or paying for higher priced courses. Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot of the time, you know, I get, it's a common thing. I'll get a message on Facebook and somebody will be like, uh, what are your rates? And, you know, do you want to coach me and something like that? And typically what I'll say is what have you done for the free stuff? You know, I'm happy to work with you, but you know, these are some resources you, you might want to start with because like you said, there's so much great content available. Um, and I think that you can go pretty far with it. Hmm. Interesting. Would you say that there's, um, I mean, there has to be some, but perhaps to what extent is there a difference in, in quality between free versus paid training material? Um, I think that free is, if you want, I think it depends a lot on how specialized you want to get. Like, Let's say, for example, you're talking about beating hyper turbo games. Mm -hmm. So in our course, you know, we go through a lot of stuff that's going to help with that and, and right. the shuffle. And there's plenty of good free material. In fact, I think starting with more complex stuff would probably only hinder you um, at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I've seen recently some higher price hyper courses um, being advertised with, with well-known names um, and I haven't done them, but my suspicion is that if you wanted to, you know, really perform at, at a high level and start playing high stakes hypers, um, you would want to consider those and they probably are very well worth it. But for the, the significant majority of players, um, free and low priced, you know, like poker books, poker software, things that are more like, you know, 20, 50, a couple hundred dollars instead of like 500 or thousand dollars are going to get you most of the way there. That's such a great and an important answer. You know, one of the things, you know, you're saying everyone's getting better at poker, but part of the reason is, you know, unlike any other time before or more than any other time before, people want to get better. People want to improve their game and they realize it's not just spending money like on a meal. This is an investment. So that's a really instructive answer. It's not, you know, the more you pay, the more you learn necessarily. There's plenty of, of value to be gotten even without paying at all. It's a, a fantastic answer, Colin. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So, so let's shift gears. You got to do that a little bit in poker. Let's get just the tiniest bit uh, personal. I know you had lived before in the U.S. You moved to Mexico. Now you're back in the U.S. So outside of all the poker related things, what has that sort of lifestyle been like for you in, in each of the places that you lived? Well, it's been great. You know, we um, initially for poker moved from maryland to vegas and we lived in vegas for a couple of years uh, which was you know tremendous fun and i think we would have stayed there for a long time had it not been for black friday sure and the decision to move to, to mexico for online poker and 
you know, things happen for a reason. I think a lot of online players were extremely upset when that happened and ended up seeing it as kind of a good thing. I mean, obviously it's it's wrong that it happened. I'm not saying that, you know, money should have been taken from players in these site C's, but in terms of uh, having a change that impacted your life in a positive way, um, you know, and we loved living in Mexico, you know, and being on the ocean and experiencing um, a new culture, playing online all the time. Um, so that was great. And uh, both Vegas and Mexico, um, you know, in different ways, Vegas more for live, obviously, and uh, Mexico for more for online, um, were a tremendous fun. Sure. And uh, when did you leave Mexico to, to move back to the States where you are right now? Um, we moved back in 2015. Mm-hmm. And that was when, you know, there was um, a little bit less in terms of, you know, when we moved to Mexico, you pretty much had to be playing on non-US sites if you right. wanted to pursue online poker. And I think that that gap has has narrowed a lot more. And back in 2015, we saw that, you know, that things with, for example, poker stars, it wasn't like that was just the one place to play. There are better sure. US sites. Um, so that was kind of what uh, drove that transition back to the US. Cool, okay, that makes sense. Um, well, when you're not playing, when you're not instructing, coaching, what else do you do? What's your day-to-day like when you're not doing uh, all the poker stuff? Well, we've got um, two kids, two girls who sure. are three and 10 months. Oh, and they have, uh, you know, a lot of energy. And the three-year-old loves to talk about poker. And it's funny, really? too, because she gets so excited, particularly when Katie plays poker. And I don't know, you know, probably at three, she doesn't have too great an understanding of, of what <laughs> poker is yet. She's like, Mommy's playing poker? And she's like, her eyes get kind of wide. Like she knows that it's something really cool. And she loves um, playing with the poker chips too. So we do a lot of family stuff and we love to travel. We um, got back recently from a 16 day trip, just, um, you know, driving around in in different areas and going to some rural areas and, you know, being able to uh, explore around outside together. So that also um, lifting weights, playing racquetball, hiking, stuff like that. Fantastic. That's great. It's good to have that, that sort of balance. And, you know, like you're saying, you know, 16 day trip driving around, it's even in the midst of a pandemic, it's great to be able to have that special family time and create uh, experiences. That That's really wonderful. And I got to say, you know, for so many lovers of poker, it's kind of the dream to have a wife who loves poker just as much as you do. And now you're saying even kids who are into poker, like, mm-hmm. is it like just part and parcel of everything? Like, is there sort of like a, a balance, like a lot of folks just to have a balance between, oh, their poker life and, you know, the real life that they live. Like, how does that work for you guys? Yeah, I think it was probably a lot more one-sided before kids, you okay. know, like when we were talking and we'd have a conversation, like poker would always come up. But now, like you probably know, when you have a three-year-old, you can't really talk about anything that you want to talk about that the three-year-old does not want to talk about. So, you know, when we're just the two of us, it'll definitely come up pretty often. But in, in family situations, I would say it's quite a bit more balanced now than it used to be. I can hear that. And I can tell you that doesn't really change much when you've got a 12, 10, and 8-year-old <laughs> like I've got. So. But that's good. Well, they still like playing with the chips. It's colorful. Oh, Danny, you're going. It's good. But uh, it's runs yeah, in my yeah. family. My dad taught me. Maybe one day I'll teach my son and my daughters. So we'll see. Oh, that's um, great. 
Yeah, so just uh, the last question for you that I've prepared and then we move on to the next segment of the show for the community questions. Um, do you have any sort of short or long-term goals that you have set for yourself, whether it's as a player or as an instructor? Where do you sort of you know, see yourself wanting to go perhaps? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say that in the past I had a lot more of those specific goals. Like for example, you know, at the time I was writing sitting go strategy and producing the, the sitting go book at that time. Um, and a lot of the time when I've been playing online poker, I've had, for example, year long goals where a common one would be like a certain shark scope leaderboard. Like I want to mm. be number one in this buy-in range in nine man sitting goes. Right. Um, so that would be a very common one. And these days it's a little more just sort of like seeing things that that come up and, and what I want to do and a little bit less of fixed goals that I've had in the past. Cool. Totally fair. And that's interesting also that uh, you know goals do change over time and for, for plenty of good reasons. Um, yeah. Well, that, that completes uh, my slate of questions. Let me move on to the second uh, segment of the show. This is where we turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. And we've got a couple of interesting questions here from Acid Burn FX. Thank you so much for submitting these questions for Colin. Um, I'm not 100% sure of the, the, the pronoun here, but I'll read the question to you. So is it hire a coach or learn on your own? I guess it's what would you recommend? Yes. Uh, I would say, again, to, to learn on your own at the start. And like you pointed out, there's so many great resources for that. You can post right on Cards Chat um, and me and Katie and other uh, ambassadors and just all the members, you know, and, and all these strategy threads pretty much. You see so much great information getting posted um, by other members. I would definitely start there until you reach a point where, you know, if you reach a point where you think, hey, I'm not really able to get past this hurdle. You know, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong to not beat uh, $5 sitting goes. And I really want to pay a coach to review some of my games and point on my exact leaks. You know, that that's fair, but I, I wouldn't start at that point. Excellent, got it. Okay, good answer. And the second question from Acid Burn FX is, what was the mistake that taught you the most? See, acid burn effects is the good questions. <laughs> That's why we save them for last, Colin. <laughs> yeah, I've got to think about this one for a second. The mistake oh, that sure. taught me the most. Well, I guess um, one category of mistake certainly was not having good table selection, just sort of taking my skill for granted. Mm. I talk a little bit about in the course, um, you know, a period of time where I'd done very well playing high stakes sitting goes. And a big part of that was just, again, that my opposition was not taking it very seriously. There was a lot of money in the poker economy then, and people right. were, were playing to have fun. And when the game started getting a little bit tougher, uh, other regulars were adjusting to this and I kind of thought, well, I don't, I don't have to, you know, I, I wrote a book and I've won money in the past. Right. And obviously when that starts happening, you begin losing, you know, there's no reason why I should win a poker. I can lose just like anybody else can lose. So I guess it'd be having like too much ego and, and not taking the game seriously enough. 
Right. And you know, after an hour of talking with someone clearly so well-versed in poker, who's a great teacher, a great instructor, an answer like that is also very, very resonant. Uh, so it's important to have a lot of self-awareness and keep on improving your game. Never get too comfortable resting on your laurels. Colin, right, that was a, right. a fantastic answer. And thank you very much, Acid Burn FX who sent in those questions. Just a reminder to everyone out there in the Cards Chat community, we'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests. And of course, there's a, a dedicated thread on the forums. And of course, please be sure to give our show a good review on iTunes, spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Colin, where can anyone follow you or reach out to you if they have some more questions for you? Yeah, any uh, the social media sites, I need to be a little more active on those, but feel free to reach out to me on any of those. And if you have a question, the best way is Katie and I have an AMA and ask me anything on Cards Chat. And if you find us there and you post a question, I guarantee you we will answer that question. Confirmed. Absolutely. Well, Colin, thank you very, very much. Thanks. To Colin Moshman, thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Robbie. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.